It's hour two on the morning after on Sports Grid. Thanks for tuning in on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. It is the hour of chaos. We're going to actually talk Major League Baseball. It was really exciting last night in the Subway Series. A lot of playoff implications on the line across the next three weeks in the MLB. We'll have some great guests, too. First, Dr. David Chow, ProFootballDoc.com. I'm t- I told him already a week ago that I'm just going to grill him on Ravens injuries the whole time. Ben can defer to other teams. I'm just sticking with ball. Baltimore. Uh, later on this hour, we're also going to have Tom Vecchio, who's going to not only give us his NFL Monday Night Football picks, we've got the home run prop king. He's going to give us his home run prop of the night. First, we're getting to U.S. Open. Tennis, the men's side of things, and uh, closed yesterday. It was frustrating because it was right in the middle of the first football Sunday of the year, yet I do have the three TVs in the basement, was watching the U.S. Open on one of them. Thought, oh, good, Djokovic. Yeah, Novak Djokovic going to do the calendar grand slam, must-watch television. Not the case. Not even close. In fact, it's been normal for Djokovic to give up one set, especially the first set. Then he gets in the heads of his opponent, and then he ends up getting the last three, four sets. It doesn't matter. He ends up winning. Uh, So when it came to this game and this match and Djokovic goes down in the first set, I'm thinking, no big deal. Jump in. Plus 110 live. You're not getting that any better than that with Djokovic at minus 250 opening up this match. Djokovic loses in straight sets to Daniil Medvedev. Unbelievable performance by Medvedev to take home this U.S. Open. Ben, it just stinks because I was really excited to watch history yesterday. Yeah, history could have happened here in Flushing, Queens for Novak Djokovic, but it was not to be the case. The Joker said after in his post-match press conference that it was nice to kind of have this pressure off his shoulders. It was a relief that the calendar Grand Slam had come to an end, probably not with a victory in the way that he had hoped, but still that it was done. And Daniil Medvedev was always going to be the guy to challenge him. Had the second shortest odds entering the U.S. Open. I'm not entirely sure what the odds were for the match yesterday, but you know that Novak was a pretty heavy odds-on favorite. And had you gone to the prop market and looked for different ways to bet this match, I'm sure you could have found huge plus-money opportunities on Daniil Medvedev to win in straight sets. Because that, even if you were able to knock off Novak, probably would have thought to be in five sets or even in four sets. Not to win just 3-0 straight up in straight sets. So Daniil Medvedev with some huge plus money opportunities. If you thought Novak Djokovic was going to come up short, the effort and the feat of what he was trying to do proved a little bit too tall yesterday in New York City. Rod Lavers, back in 1969, still remains the last calendar Grand Slam in men's U.S. Open. And now Djokovic was minus 150 pre-tournament to win this event, uh, to win the U.S. Open. Even back in, I think it was April or May, I remember Pam Maldonado came on the show from Yahoo and she said, go grab it now. You're not going to get a better number on Djokovic at plus 110. That was the case by the time the U.S. Open came. The calendar Grand Slam was ready to be rounded out and he was minus 150. And great job by Medvedev, who was plus 550 pre-tournament. Or excuse me, he was, actually I don't have those, uh, but I do have the next tournament, so I'm, re- I'm reading the wrong ones. Anyway, Medvedev did have the second shortest odds to win the U.S. Open, and he does again coming up in the next Grand Slam in January, the Australian Open, plus 550. Nadal, plus 850. Djokovic still the favorite at plus 125. Uh, oh, here it is, plus 430 was what Medvedev was, the second best odds to win the U.S. Open this year. Anyway, yeah, so the U.S. Open, uh, we don't get the calendar, but 
Uh, it's okay. Welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience. It's the second hour here on the morning after. Sirius XM, Channel 204, the Mightier 1090 on the West Coast. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Ben, uh, live betting tennis has been something we've spoken about on this show a lot. And watching what happened yesterday wasn't always the best example of it because Djokovic did end up losing. However, as I mentioned before, Djokovic always lets these opponents get the first set. And then he comes back and usually wins. He did that for about... I think two of his last matches in the U.S. Open prior to the finals, he did that with uh, Matteo Barrettini, and he did that the match prior to that as well. So you could always go in, and the best way to probably get value on Djokovic in the future is to just say both players are going to win a set, and then Djokovic ends up winning. I've realized that's been in plus money a lot recently, but betting tennis, it's really fun to do, especially live. Yeah, that live opportunity might have seemed like fool's gold on Novak Djokovic yesterday for him going down a set, maybe even two sets, and seeing that huge flip past that money line favorite now being a huge plus money underdog. To take it into my neck of the woods, when you look at what Ohio State did against Oregon on Saturday, I thought you had huge plus money opportunities on the Buckeyes, either on the money line or getting points late in that second half, and it got very close Depending on a couple of the numbers that you saw, Ohio State was a seven and a half point live underdog at a certain point against Oregon late in that fourth quarter. They would have covered that live number, not the minus 14 and a half pregame favorite that Ohio State was. So you can take that into sports betting live in any sport, especially tennis, where you will have flips and fluctuations back and forth. So whether it's tennis, Major League Baseball, the NFL, or college football, always be on the lookout for a big favorite that flips to an underdog. And if you're seeing things in a game that leads you to believe a comeback is on the horizon, then that's where you find your opportunities and value. Another place to find opportunity and value is on the injury side of things. Dr. David Chow, ProFootballDoc.com. He actually gave out a winner yesterday on Pro Football Today. Came on and said, Seahawks. Seahawks are going to win. He said the most injured mm. team, the Indianapolis Colts. And whenever Dr. Chow comes on and gives a pick, because he's not really a handicapper, he just will sometimes find these edges where the injuries are a lot worse than the team's letting on. Let's find out if there's any of those teams coming up in week two, or maybe even tonight. Dr. David Chow, coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on Sports Grid, it is Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us now, Dr. David Chow of ProFootballDoc.com. Doc, you were saved because I was just going to grill you about the Ravens. However, I'm a journalist first and we have breaking news, so I have to def- from my Ravens for just a second. Just getting news that the Lions' second-year cornerback, Jeff Okuda, is going to be out for the rest of the season with a ruptured Achilles. After what you saw with the injury, how much did you think it was going to be season-ending for Okuda? Well, you know, he had a rough day, right? I mean, uh, on the field and getting dressed down by his coach on the sideline. But the, the play wasn't even seen 
and uh, it was away from the, the camera. It wasn't even on the TV screen. But this is actually why there was worry for Achilles, and I actually said that on my Twitter feed and at profootballdoc.com. Away from the field, the way he was limping, then carted off, change of direction, non-contact, the way the trainers were examining, uh, according to Dave Burkett, his uh, heel and foot area. That was the worry, and unfortunately, it's confirmed. And, and you know, second-year guy, he's done for the season with surgery. And this is a tough recovery for next year for a cornerback, too. Dr. Chow, also unfortunately in that same game, the San Francisco 49ers, who won the game, losing a key member of their secondary in Jason Barrett. He has a torn ACL, most likely will miss the rest of the season. Did you see that play, and what was the prognosis? Yeah, I saw the play, and... Uh once again posted and tweeted that there was worry for ACL, but I was hoping his foot slipped out as opposed to really stuck in the ground. But, you know, he's had ACL tears before. He's had a lot of injury history. He did a great job coming back when many didn't think he'd make it. He made it back to be a starter in the NFL. You know, um, tough, tough blow for him. And this is probably the end of his career at this point in time. I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, based on age and all his injuries and what he's done. I mean, he was a former first-round draft pick with the then San Diego Chargers. And, and you know, it's mm-hmm. shoulder surgeries, multiple knee surgeries. Uh, if you think back two years ago, people said he wouldn't be in the league anymore, yet he made it. So, uh, you know, kudos to him for, for doing all of that. Dr. Chow, if I got a dollar for every time we said subluxation over the last year on this show, I would probably make at least 100, 150 extra bucks to go gamble with. We had many, uh, we had uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., who had the shoulder subluxation. And now yesterday, we had the quarterback for the Washington football team, Ryan Fitzpatrick, with a hip subluxation. What is a hip subluxation? Well, you know, I try not to use those big words and confuse people and if you notice i'm probably the only medical guy that does anything related to sports that doesn't pull out a model and doesn't pull out diagrams because we're talking sports so i try not to 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 lecture related to medicine but a subluxation you could call a partial dislocation a transient mini dislocation is probably the simplest way to say that and that's why in game after we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick's injury, I compared it to Tua, a lesser Tua injury. Tua was a full dislocation of his hip. Ryan Fitzpatrick was a mini, partial, whatever you want to call it. Well, that's why I said, A, he's not coming back to the game. B, this is in-game. I said, he's not playing on Thursday. Those were easy. And once they uh, confirmed that, I mean, his timeline assuming the MRI doesn't show any full significant damage, is probably October, so it's a couple weeks of uh, Taylor Henneke. Also, Dr. Chow, yesterday for the Denver Broncos, a big win in New York over the Giants, but their star-wide receiver, the young guy in Jerry Judy, was carted off the field, seemed very serious, still serious, but not quite as big of a fear as they once hoped or once were fearing that it might be. They say it's now just a high ankle sprain for Jerry Judy. So what's the timeline look like for Jerry Judy in terms of getting back on the field for the Broncos this season? 
Well, certainly good and bad news there. Look, uh, I always like delivering good news. And, and you know, I, I hate to say it, but my saying significant high ankle sprain was good news. I think the Twitterverse was saying, how is that not broken? I mean, and Tom Pelissaro, when he tweeted x-rays negative, uh, calmed the world down a little bit. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's what happens. It's a significant injury still, but there is no fracture, and that's what we thought all along. Look, he's going to have an extended absence. He's going to be on injured reserve. At this point, you can only hope that he'll be back sometime in October, late October. Uh, But he will be back this season, so at least there is a small silver lining. Yesterday on Pro Football Today, Dr. Chow, you came on the show and said, Indianapolis Colts aren't healthy. Carson Wentz isn't near 100%. The Seattle Seahawks are going to beat the Colts. Bet the Seahawks. You were 100% right. What did you see out of this banged-up Colts team yesterday? Well, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again, and I was lucky to find five of them yesterday. I, every week on OutKick, I, a Saturday night, I, against the FanDuel line, I picked five games. We went 5-0. and oh. Seattle was one of them. The Colts, between Carson Wentz not practicing, Quentin Nelson, Eric Fisher not there, T.Y. Hilton, and, and you know some of the defensive players too, whereas the Seahawks, if you look at the field view and six score, were green, green, green everywhere. Uh, Carolina uh, over the Jets. Uh, the Jets made it closer than I thought. Uh, okay, I got lucky on a backdoor cover with uh, Detroit. And, yes, I took Detroit. And when we do that, uh, it's I don't take into account scheme or coaching or talent because I figure the line takes that into account against the 49ers. But health-wise, Detroit was healthier, and we got lucky getting the eight and a half points. Then uh, Denver over New York, once again, the healthier side. And the Rams, easy, even though laying seven and a half, once again, the healthier side. Doesn't always work out that way. Last year, it was 50, 30, and five. And if I could repeat that, I'd be thrilled, right? Uh, But, you know, like I said, getting lucky here. 50, 30, and 5 in a 5-0 and start to the 2021 season, Dr. Chow. That's Hall of Fame-type numbers. They might put up a bus for you in Canton, Ohio, if you keep hey, up yeah, I just on was, this pace. I, I just wish gambling was legal in California. I didn't even have there money we go. down. Maybe very soon, Dr. Chow. Hopefully very soon. I feel the same way about here in New York State. You mentioned one of those games yesterday, the Carolina Panthers and the New York Jets. One of the staples of the Jets' young offensive line Makai Becton went down, also seemed rather serious. What's the latest update there with Makai Becton? Well, you guys have heard me say this before. Judge the injury, don't judge the reaction to the injury. The reaction to the injury was the card off. Makai Becton emotional as he's carted off, thinking, and Reverse was saying season ending, there was even ACL mentioned. But by video, it was an MCL, and Ian Rappaport confirmed that, and that's what we posted at the website in-game, MCL. So it's probably multiple weeks. He may even hit IR for the three-week time. But once again, he'll be back, and I'm actually confident he will be back in October, hopefully early October as opposed to later October, but he will be back playing by October. Dr. Chow, one minute left. Here's my time. The Baltimore Ravens, what on earth is going on? Is it the trainers? Is it the fields? I just don't get it. 
We can't say the field because J.K. Dobbins was in a game, right? And so, yes, you had two back-to-back, and that's unusual. But the Ravens are lucky compared to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, right? The Canadian Football League. They had four players tear their Achilles in one practice, almost back-to-back, and uh, this uh, offseason. They so don't even compete that- against that team. Who cares? <laughs> Yeah, but let me tell you, uh, look, I hope the streak goes, but there's a 17.1.6 score advantage of the home Raiders getting points, Mm. playing to a rabid crowd for the first time with an injury advantage over the Ravens for tonight. Go to profootballdoc.com to see the field view and six scores. Great. So the guy that's undefeated on the weekend is going to root against my Ravens. Wow. I really have the odds stacked against me today. Uh-huh. I'm just giving you information. I'm not rooting. See, look, Barking Dog <laughs> comes in the picture, too. Dr. Chow, catch him at profootballdoc.com. We'll see you next week. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. on the morning after on sports grid it is sirius xm channel 204 with ben stevens i'm ariel epstein make sure to check us out all over social media go to sports grid and sports grid tv on twitter you get all the latest line moves and anything you may have missed from our show tune into sports grid and sports grid tv on twitter time to recap major league baseball Usually we do that in the first hour of the show. However, with all the football news between the NFL and college football, we had to take MLB into this hour. Major League Baseball had some pretty exciting games over the weekend. We'll start with Subway Series. The Mets end up beating the Yankees 7-6 to yesterday. This game was one that played after the football game ended. It was like the sixth inning when the Sunday night football game was over. It was drama galore. I actually haven't seen a Subway Series this heated in a really long time. It was all between Giancarlo Stanton and Francisco Lindor. Now, Lindor for the Mets had three home runs going three for four with five RBI. Giancarlo Stanton, two for five, three RBI, including a home run. It was the most classic ending because after the two of them, as you might have just seen on this picture if you're watching on our streaming services, the two of them really got into it. And it, it regarded uh, Giancarlo Stanton on his home run. He's rounding the bases, slowly gallops around and says something to Lindor. The benches start clearing. It was dramatic. The way the game ends, Giancarlo Stanton pops it up. Francisco Lindor. Ben, this had everything, and the game ends up with the Mets getting the win 7-6. Including three home runs from Frankie, Francisco Lindor, who has started to find his swing. The $341 million man might be a little bit late. That remains to be seen for the New York Mets, but it was the first time in any Subway Series matchup a player on either side hit three home runs in a single game, including the first time in Mets franchise history a player hit three home runs in the same game including that go-ahead bomb in the eighth inning from Francisco Lindor who did it from both sides of the plate both lefty and righty yesterday against the New York Yankees and for the Yankees Ariel 
It is bad times getting even worse. They lose the Subway Series against the Mets this weekend. They have dropped eight of their last nine games, 12 of their last 15. And if the season ended today, they would be on the outside looking in at that AL wildcard spot. The Blue Jays and the Red Sox tie the Yankees now a full game behind that second and final AL wildcard spot. But still, according to the FanDuel Sportsbook, and this might be the public price on the New York Yankees, the fourth shortest odds to win the American League pennant at plus 950. Those are better odds than both the Boston Red Sox, who are 12 to 1, and one of the hottest teams in all of Major League Baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays, who are 14 to 1. Meanwhile, for the New York Mets, they are now five games back of the Atlanta Braves in the NL East. They are plus 850 to win that division. Atlanta, a strong minus money favorite, odds on favorite at minus 470. But the Mets, only three games back of that second and final NL wildcard spot. So if they keep performing the way they are offensively, and if Francisco Lindor is going to lead the charge, there is still a little bit, a small sliver of hope, glimmer on the end of the horizon for the New York Mets. I'm not saying it can be done, but a small, small bit of hope still left for the New York Mets. You mentioned before the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays put up three touchdowns on the Baltimore Orioles yesterday. The Jays won 22-7. to The total on the game was only a 10. Toronto was minus 230 to win. I don't know if you remember this, Ben. One of my favorite bets on the baseball card on Friday was that it was going to be an under in Toronto and Baltimore. Mm-hmm. After that, I said, you will bet the team total over on Toronto every other game after this in Camden Yards. Camden Yards is the second most profitable park for the overs. Except when Toronto comes into the first game of a road series, they've been averaging about four and a half runs per game. Then you look to the rest of the weekend. 22 runs, 11 runs in both seven-inning doubleheader games for Toronto, including Keegan Aiken. Every time the Orioles starter Aiken is on the mound, you have to bet the team total over against him, especially if he's in Baltimore. Then the over in Camden Yards continues to be profitable, in addition to the Toronto Blue Jays' bats continuously heating up and now taking over the one spot in the American League wildcard race. Death. Taxes overs in Camden Yards, tied for the second highest over percentage in all of MLB. 60.3% of the games played in Baltimore this year are going to the over. You mentioned something fascinating about what the Blue Jays did this weekend. You were spot on in your cap on Friday of that game going to the under and the Blue Jays team total staying under as well. But after that, In the games on Saturday, and I say games specifically because two seven-inning doubleheaders, the Blue Jays score 11 runs in both of those games. And then 22 yesterday against the Baltimore Orioles on the first NFL Sunday of the season. They win 22-7, a more likely football score than a baseball score. Toronto has won 14 of their last 16 games to storm back into that AL wildcard picture. Again, they are tied with the Boston Red Sox. For those two spots right now in the American League wild card. The Red Sox have slightly better odds to win the American League pennant at 12 to 1. The Blue Jays are 14 to 1. This Blue Jays team is incredibly exciting. The second best offense in all of Major League Baseball all year long. The second best offense in all of Major League Baseball in the last month. The only team with a better offense in Major League Baseball in the last month. The Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, by the way, the Toronto Blue Jays and the Rays open up series against each other today. The total for that one is nine just something to keep in mind it's alec manoa and i believe ryan yarborough on the much oh excuse me colin McHugh on the bump 
for the Tampa Bay Rays. So that might be why the total is a little low at nine. But still, I think we will see some offense throughout this series between the Rays and the Blue Jays this week. Toronto has been absolutely incredible in what they have been able to do, capitalizing on momentum right now in storming into that American League playoff picture. I would not step in front of the Toronto Blue Jays at the moment. How long will they be able to sustain the success? 14 of their last 16? I'm not entirely sure, but it's a lot of fun baseball to watch right now. And if Shohei Otani was not Shohei Otani, well, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would probably win the American League MVP as well. Yeah, if you're not a dual threat, then it's probably Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Toronto, the number one OPS in baseball over the last month, would be crazy if they were able to knock the New York Yankees or even the Boston Red Sox, but mainly the New York Yankees, who were the favorites to win the American League East. Imagine the Toronto Blue Jays pushing them out of the playoffs. Crazy. The American League is going to be nuts come down the stretch. But let's switch to the National League. The San Francisco Giants continue to win. They pick up a win over the Cubs 6-5 yesterday. The Giants were minus 205 on the money line. San Francisco has the best record in baseball, 93-50. and They have a two-and-a-half game lead of the NL West and are on a seven-game winning streak, winning nine of their last ten. The Giants minus 140 to win the division. The Dodgers plus 120. Ben, how much do you believe that the Giants really are the best team in the National League? I absolutely do. When you look at the Giants and the Dodgers, they have the two best records in all of Major League Baseball. And Ariel, at this point, this late into September, the Dodgers just have to be like, come on. Like, are you kidding me? We go out and we sweep our bitter rival in the San Diego Padres this weekend, and we don't make up a single half game. We make up zero ground on the San Francisco Giants. And the Giants went out and took care of business on the road against the Cubs, as they certainly should. The Cubs are not by any means a good team right now in Major League Baseball. But the, the Dodgers just have to be like, what do we got to do? What do we got to do against this Giants team? We can't even make up any ground. A two-and-a-half game lead for the Giants in the NL West. They are minus 140 to win that division. And the Giants just keep winning baseball games. Seven straight wins. So, if you are a Dodgers fan or a Dodgers backer, maybe don't look to the NL West divisional odds right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. But look to the National League pennant odds because they're the Dodgers have the advantage. They are plus 135 to win the NL pennant, more than $2 ahead of both the Giants and the Brewers, who are plus 350, tied for the second shortest odds to win the NL pennant. But at this point, I don't think the Dodgers are catching the Giants in the NL West. I think they might be slightly demoralized, being like, oh my God, we're going to have to play in this NL wildcard game. They're not going to stop. They're going to keep hunting down the Giants for that final top spot atop the NL West. But it's just got to be like, what do we got to do against these guys? I mean, come on. They lost the weekend series against the Giants last week. I think that might be the most impactful of it all. But the Dodgers won three straight against the Padres this weekend. It makes zero difference because the Giants won seven straight. And they have won seven straight and swept the Cubs as well. Dodgers were minus 166 on the money line, cashing that 8 nothing win yesterday over the Padres. The Padres did lose their pitcher, Blake Snell, who walked off with what appeared to be a groin injury after just two-thirds of an inning. Also on the other side, Max Scherzer was the story of the day. Another incredible start for the Dodger acquired at the trade deadline from Washington. He was almost perfect. He went into the eighth inning with a perfect game, even had an immaculate inning. However, ends up with a one-hitter, no earned runs allowed, nine strikeouts. Max Scherzer has been the biggest addition to the Dodgers team. He could even be that additional piece that helps them get to another World Series. However, the Dodgers have the number one wild card spot. They're 91-53. and 53. Ben would stand out to me from a betting perspective the win total for the Dodgers at the beginning of the year was 103 and a half 
If you were crazy enough to bet it, you're sitting there with 91 wins and 15 games left. The Dodgers have to win a lot of those 15 games in order to cash that ticket to the over. If Max Scherzer is going to start every one of them, the Dodgers are going to win all of those 15 games because the Dodgers are a perfect 8-0 in Scherzer's start since joining the Los Angeles Dodgers. He has a 2-1-7 ERA, the best in Major League Baseball. He's the 19th pitcher in Major League Baseball history to reach 3,000 career strikeouts, the second fastest to get there in terms of innings. And here's what I will say about Max Scherzer. He is the favorite on the board right now on FanDuel to win the NL Cy Young at plus 145. Get him now. There's still value with a plus money price next to him because if he goes out and has one more good start, he is going to win the National League Cy Young Award. So at plus 145, there's still value somehow, some way on Max Scherzer. The Dodgers 8-0 when he pitches. He has been incredible in Los Angeles. Another win total in the National League really close, the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds are sitting at 75 wins. Their win total, 81 and a half, currently in that number two spot for the wild card in the National League. Coming up next, the home run prop king himself, Tom Vecchio from Vandal joining the show. He'll give you some baseball action and, of course, Monday Night Football props. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on Sports Grid, it is Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us now from FanDuel, it's Tom Vecchio. We also call him the home run prop king because he just comes on here and destroys the home run props. Let's start there. We were just talking about Major League Baseball. Tom, where are you looking on the home run props tonight? Thanks for having me. So tonight, it's all about the Los Angeles Dodgers. I've said before, this is a classic spot where we could see three, four home runs from any of their hitters. But ultimately, I'm going to be siding with Mookie Betts, who's sitting at plus 260 right now, coming in with the ideal matchup, like the perfect matchup when it comes to matching a hitter and a pitcher, their batted ball profiles. As I've talked about many times, he comes in with a 238 ISO a 41% fly ball rate, a 42.3% uh, hard contact rate. Going up against Zach Gallen, who's a righty pitcher, and he's a reverse splits pitcher, meaning he is worse against right-handed hitters than he is against lefties. This year, allowing 2.30 home runs per nine to righties with a 48.7% fly ball rate and a 45.7% hard contact rate. Both of them going well past the 40-40 line, matching things up perfectly. If you want to take a shot on Will Smith, if you want to take a shot with Max Muncy or Seager or Trey Turner, it really doesn't matter. It's all about the Dodgers tonight, but when push comes to shove, I'm going to Mookie Betts. And Clayton Kershaw returning to the bump for the L.A. Dodgers tonight as well. But Tom, of course... It is Monday Night Football, and we have a slew of props for a very enticing game between the Ravens and the Raiders, as we already know. Ariel Epstein, a huge Ravens fan, as we just learned. Tom Vecchio, a Raiders fan. The autumn wind is a Raider, says Tom Vecchio. Where are you looking across the prop board tonight, Tom, for Ravens and the Raiders? 
So starting off, looking at the Ravens team total over 27 and a half. That's sitting at minus 102 right now. Ultimately, the Ravens are the better team despite the injuries that they've suffered recently. They're still the better team. Uh, Raiders, they take too many penalties and they don't have a good defense. This has kind of been their MO for the past uh, couple of seasons. I'm expecting some good scoring in this game. Uh, Ravens over 27 and a half. I think that's pretty easy. They get to 31, 35, whatever it might be. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised there. So that's, I think, an easy spot to start. Now, correlating two other bets alongside that would be uh, Darren Waller, anytime touchdown, sitting at plus 110. We also have to account for the fact that Josh Jacobs was downgraded to now questionable for this game. So removing, potentially, I should say, potentially removing their top running back, something we just don't know yet. But Waller sitting at plus 110 is something that we could rely upon. Uh, last year, he averaged over nine targets per game. And more importantly, more importantly, he led the team with 27 red zone targets. And that's what we want to be seeing. When they get to the area where they're going to be scoring, it will be, should be going to Darren Waller. And again, if Josh Jacobs is out, they'll be relying on the passing game more and more. Correlating with the final one, which would be Henry Ruggs over 38 and a half for his longest reception. So if the Ravens are scoring, A, we should see more passing from the Raiders. And if Josh Jacobs is out, we should see more passing from the Raiders. So going back to Ruggs over 38 and a half, we look back to last year when he had a 17.4 A dot, which is average depth of target, which was the second highest in the league among receivers with over 25 targets downfield. So Ruggs getting down the field, which was his M.O. in college, is the same thing we should see from him. So more passing from the Raiders if Jacobs is out, more passing from the Raiders if they're playing from behind or should be playing from behind against the Ravens tonight. I can't believe you're a Raiders fan. Now we've got Ravens versus Raiders. It's the two of us just going head-to-head. May the best team win. Yet, Tom, I love that you're attacking the passing game. I do believe the passing game will be attacked because the Ravens lost their best cornerback in Marcus Peters just about a week ago. That's why Derek Carr's passing yards prop is even intriguing to me, too. However, I want to go back to the touchdowns. Anytime touchdown props to me feel like home run props. How correlated are these two markets? I would say they're closely correlated. You know, we could look at, uh, you know, specific matchups for, you know, a hitter, as I just said, with Mookie Betts, where his profile lines up perfectly against uh, Zach Gallon, his profile. If we look to any time touchdowns, we could say, okay, a passing touchdown. What are we looking at in this matchup specifically? Who should be getting it? Okay, well, if the top running back like Jacobs is potentially out tonight, that means they should be passing the ball more. So we're looking at this specific matchup. And if we have a, a weaker secondary for the Ravens, they should be a little bit susceptible there. So that's where Waller or Ruggs could come into play. So I think lining these up, like there's some good correlation between home run props and anytime touchdown. And I think this is a spot you can certainly attack on a game by game basis. If we know a team has super strong corners and they're weak on the interior, that's where you look to the running backs. Uh, for any time touchdowns. Tom, last night when I was looking at this game from a prop perspective, one that stood out to me was the rushing yards prop for Kenyon Drake. More so just the feeling and based on reports of what we have seen out of Vegas throughout training camp and in the preseason, but it was at 37 and a half. Now, with what you mentioned about Josh Jacobs being downgraded to questionable, would you look to then tail Kenyon Drake or would you focus just on the Raiders passing game with the absence or maybe lack of production out of Josh Jacobs this evening. So it's 38 and a half, you said? I think it's 37 and a half is when I saw it last time. I'm going to go double check to see what it might have okay. jumped to with some of the news about Josh Jacobs. Yeah, so 37 and a half, I think that's a, a solid spot. I would side with the over there just because 
you know, they, they will rely on the running game. We have seen, uh, you know, Gruden and his coaching scheme. We have seen them do that. So if Jacobs is out 37 and a half, I think is very reasonable for uh, Kenyon Drake, especially if he should be getting the start there. Third string running back is Peyton Barber, uh, somewhat of an undefined role. Obviously, that should or hopefully becomes more clear throughout the day if we do get a final indication on Josh Jacobs, whether he's playing or not. But over 37 and a half yards, I think is fine. It's not like we're going to be seeing you know, 120 yards from him on the ground. They should see, you know, 50-ish total yards from him on the ground, obviously relying more on the passing game. But I would side with the over for Drake if he does, in fact, get the start tonight. Tom Vecchio from FanDuel joining us. Since you do follow the Raiders closely, where have the Raiders improved from last year? Well, we didn't see uh, Ruggs in the preseason, but there were some good reports from him coming out of camp that he is ready to take this next step forward. Obviously, they brought in uh, Willie Sneed. They still have Zay Jones in their receiving core, but he needs to establish himself as the number one receiver, which I think he's going to do this season. We obviously know that. I guess you could say that Darren Waller is their best you know, offensive ca- pass catcher because Jacobs doesn't do a whole lot. But getting the ball downfield, especially if they're playing from behind with their weak defense, this is the spot where they should improve. We know what we can see from Carr. He obviously can be very uh, effective and efficient. Pushing the ball downfield is something that he doesn't always do, but that's something they also need to improve on, which I think they can do with Ruggs. So the passing game from the Raiders, I think, is trending in the right direction. And ultimately, they'll need it if the defense is still going to be this weak. When you look to the other side in the quarterback play for the Baltimore Ravens, of course, Lamar Jackson is one of the best dual threats we have seen play this position in some time. When it comes to a prop perspective, though, Tom, do you think it's more profitable to look to Lamar's passing yards props or even passing attempts props or focusing more on the rushing game? So if you're looking at the rushing game for Jackson, I would try and correlate that with an anytime touchdown as well. I believe his rushing total tonight is sitting at 71 and a half, if I remember correctly. Uh, So I'd look to the over on that uh, and then trying to pair that with the Jackson anytime touchdown, because we know what is true for the Ravens. They have suffered three injuries in their backfield. We should see Tyson Williams getting the start. They obviously brought in Latavius Murray. Uh, Latavius Murray signed him last week. This is a revenge game for him. So if you want to take a shot with him as an anytime touchdown, that wouldn't be uh, too bad of an idea. But ultimately, because of the injuries, I think I'm going to be siding more with uh, Jackson's uh, rushing prop, which again, I think is sitting at 71 and a half. The over on that, he breaks a long run. He could get 40 off in, in one play, and then he just chips away throughout the rest of the game. I think that's an easy spot for him. Looking at what the Raiders have to put up within their division, how much could you see the Raiders getting either over their win total this year or even making the playoffs? So this is going to be tough for them. Uh, I assume their win total is what, seven and a half, eight and a half? If you seven have and a half is what I saw. Seven and a half. So uh, with the extra game this year, I could see them going to eight wins, nine wins, but they still miss the playoffs. So I think there's a chance because – I think it's easy to say that. Six and a half, actually. Six six and a half. Oh. Okay. So I think them getting to seven or eight wins is reasonable, but them still missing the playoffs just because, you know, as I said a couple months ago when I was on this, I I think the Chargers are going to take a step forward. Uh, I like them to make the playoffs. It's just a very tough division overall. We know the Chiefs are going to win it. Uh, We can see the Chargers take the... Uh, another wild card. Uh, the rest of the AFC, we should see the Bills win. We could see the Ravens win their division. The Browns make the playoffs. The Steelers, obviously a good start to the season. So the Raiders making the playoffs is not something that I have a whole lot of confidence in, in, but them going over their win total, especially with the extra game this year, is something that I think is very realistic. 
Tom, knowing how much the Baltimore Ravens love to run the ball, being the top rushing offense in the NFL each of the past two seasons, when they have the list of injuries they have had throughout training camp and preseason, how much does that affect your ratings in terms of how you look at the other usage across the board for maybe finding some edges in the prop market for the Baltimore Ravens? That's a good point because uh, just general stats and, you know, general regression should say that they're not going to run the ball as much. They should say, oh, they should regress to the mean when it comes to passing. They should actually run the ball less. And, you know, maybe this is a spot to buy in low on, you know, Mark Andrews, his uh, his props every game, because if they have to pass the ball, you know, they just don't have enough consistency from Williams, who's a rookie. They're not getting enough out of Latavius Murray. You could start to buy in on anytime touchdowns for Andrews, his yardage prop every game. And Listen, we've seen those games where he has like five receptions, but two of them are for touchdowns. They're both coming in the red zone. So that's a really spot, easy spot to look uh, when they get their rookie receiver back from injury. Uh, his name escapes me right now. But if he comes back, that's a spot you could buy low on on a game-by-game basis if they start to feed the ball to him uh, a bit more. Uh, Rashad Bateman, if I remember correctly, that's coming back to oh. right now. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be a spot to look once he's healthy. It's like, oh, the running backs still aren't there. Our rookie receivers here. Let's get him involved in the offense. Start buying in on those props uh, once he's ready to go. Bateman, Boykin, all wide receivers. I'm looking forward to the Ravens getting back. However, Tom, just a couple of minutes left. Week one takeaways so far from a props perspective. What stood out to you? Uh, from a props perspective, the San Francisco backfield I don't know what to do with that. You know, uh, we're seeing Sermon wasn't active, and then uh, Raheem the Dream Monster wasn't. You know, got injured. He didn't play. Then we have these three different running backs coming in. A spot that I have no interest in going. That's just somewhere I absolutely do not want to go uh, moving forward because the report for from Shanahan this morning is that they're not going with a clear uh, number one running back. So going nowhere near San Francisco. I mean, anytime you can give the over on like one and a half or two and a half for Kyler Murray for his touchdown props, that's a spot that I absolutely want to be going because they're going to be throwing the ball constantly. That's great to see. Uh, And then Najee Harris for Pittsburgh. He played all 58 snaps for the Steelers running backs. Not a single running back touched the field outside of him. Now, of course, that's not going to be consistent on a game-by-game basis, but he didn't do a whole lot in that game against the Bills. I I guess you could say the Steelers didn't do a whole lot till the end of the game, but buying in on his total rushing props per game if he's going to be out there that much that's something that you could really really take advantage of going forward tom only a minute final prediction what's going to happen tonight give me a score uh 35 28 ravens win okay okay i'll take it you're probably one of the first people that came on here and think that the ravens are going to win the game Tom Vecchio of FanDuel, thanks for joining us. Good luck to your team. May the best team win. And we'll be right back here on the morning after to close out our number two with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We've got you covered until noon Eastern time on the grid. Plus, we're going to have happy hour coming up next. We're going to give out our best best for Major League Baseball, our Monday Night Football bets, and some great guests like Dave Sherapin, former odds maker, going to tell you how to get the edge. It's all coming up in hour three, so stay here on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
in game Olsen, lives. Chapman, Jed Lowry. Who might go yard for the A's? Who do you think could go yard? Big bats for the White Sox as well, right? The Abreus, the Eloy Jimenez's of the world. Are you taking a shot? It is Dinger Tuesday after <laughs> all, Dave. Or are you going to side or a total on the game? So uh, while the prop is up, for the home runs. I'm yeah. going to do something a little bit different because we're back from a little holiday weekend and everything else. Sure. I think the A's win the game, and you know where I'm going to go with the win margins, of course. But I before know. we go, you're going one to two each side. I'm go. one to two, three to four because that three to four price is way too right. enticing. So I am one okay. to two and three to four splitting the unit there. But Ooh. with that being okay. said, I'm going with the White Sox to hit a home run. I want him. He's gonna he's gonna hit a home Catch run. Catch the program him. every single day on the Sports Grid Network. Closing out hour two on the morning after on Sports Grid is Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Let's get now to our segment Buy or Sell. It's a line move alert. Monday Night Football, Baltimore Ravens on the road at the Las Vegas Raiders. The line moved from Ravens minus four and a half to now Ravens minus four on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Ben, are you buying or selling the line move? I am selling the line movement in terms of the actual outcome of the game. I still think Baltimore can go on the road and cover, but I wouldn't really necessarily approach this from a side perspective against the spread. I think the totals can be more of your friends tonight, focusing on a team total and certainly in the prop market as well, because there are so many questions about exactly what this Ravens offense will look like due to the injuries they have had in the backfield. Justice Hill, and then you look at other guys like J.K. Dobbins as well. Gus Edwards, of course, here recently. And then probably the most impactful, as Ariel has said, Marcus Peters in the secondary for Baltimore as well. So I'm selling the line movement overall. But I think it's very intriguing because it opened at Baltimore minus five and a half. It came down to minus four and a half after the injury news late last week, even went down to three and a half then back up to four and a half and now four. All meanwhile, 83% of the betting handle has backed Baltimore against the spread. And there has been this much line movement working against the Ravens. Why could that be? Could it be because the Las Vegas Raiders play out in the desert that will be an interesting discussion that i look forward to having here in happy hour area ben you know how on college game day kirk herb street when he's calling the game that they're picking he does not give out a pick that's me right i'm not doing it i'm not giving out a pick i'm gonna give you props because props don't necessarily mean sides i'm not gonna tell you how i feel about this spread all i'll say I'm extremely nervous. In fact, there was this GIF that I saw when I was sending out a text message yesterday and I tweeted it out. It was someone coming up from the grave with a number one, like the hand. And that's pretty much me. Just like watching from the funeral I threw from the Ravens last week watching tonight's game. We do have to get to break. So hour three, our happy hour coming up next. We'll give you picks for tonight. Stay on the grid.